Well, good morning to you. It is a real privilege to be here with you this morning and to worship together with you. It's been a couple of years since I was here, and it's wonderful to see so many familiar faces. Um, I'm so thankful for this church. A number of you sent us cards and letters last year, and, and our family just had such a great time reading those, and we were so encouraged by your words and the scripture verses you passed along to us. We're thankful for your prayers. We're thankful for those of you that partner with us financially. A number of you, uh, we've been together overseas. You've been in our homes, and it's fun to be in yours, and it's just such a treat to come and to reconnect with these friendships. Uh, For those of you that I haven't met that don't know me, uh, as he said, my name's Rob Trinkman, and uh, this is my family. They wish they could be here with me this morning. Uh, They're back in the UK because kids have school, so you'll see my wife, Liz, uh, we've been married 18 years. Uh, our oldest son, Caleb, there in the middle is 13. Uh, for those of you that know Caleb and want an update, he's now taller than Liz and has bigger feet than I have. So he's coming for me. Um, my daughter, Lillian, is there on the end. She's seven and a bundle of energy. And then our youngest is Alec, and uh, he just turned four. Um, I grew up in the Rocky Mountains of Idaho, so I always love coming to Colorado. I grew up hunting and rafting, and so seeing those snow-capped peaks is a bit like coming home. Just this morning, I was out on a walk and saw five mule deer, including two bucks, in the velvet. So those of you that are hunters, be a little jealous. Um, it's really, really a treat to get to be here with you this morning. Um, As Matt said, my family and I spent nine years serving with Josiah Venture in Hungary, where I was the the team leader for a a group that did teaching and training for youth leaders and churches really across the country. And then a couple of years ago, we transitioned to a ministry called Newton House that I direct that operates out of Oxford, but really provides training for the next generation of pastors and church planters in in a variety of places around the world. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we go. But first, we have the privilege of opening God's word together this morning. And I'm looking forward to that. We're in Acts chapter 8 this morning. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Uh, And as you turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 26, I have a question for you. Do you have missed opportunities that haunt you? (laughs) Do you have missed opportunities that haunt you? Let, Let me tell you one of mine. It was 2016. We had just moved cities in Hungary. We had moved to a city called Dürer. Some of you have been there. It's a city of about 250,000 people. And because it's in Central and Eastern Europe, it's in one of the spiritually darkest places on the planet. There's about five evangelical churches in this city of a quarter million. Less than 1% of people have a saving faith in Jesus like you and I share. Just for context, our, our neighboring country of Slovenia has less Christians per person than Pakistan. It's one of the spiritually darkest places on the planet. And and we're there to share the good news of Jesus with people. About two weeks after we had moved, my son, as kids do, had caught a sickness. And so I go to the local pharmacy, that's Jodzertar in Hungarian. I go to the local pharmacy at Tesco, which is like Walmart. And I'm standing in line because I need some decongestant. 
And uh, Hungarian is one of the 10 hardest languages in the world. And so I'm standing in line trying to figure out how I explain to this pharmacist that I need decongestant. And, and Google Translate on my phone is no help. And so I'm trying to figure out how to explain that I need something that makes my nose run faster without the pharmacist getting the picture of my nose taking a jog down the street. As I walk towards the front of the line and I start to try to explain this to the pharmacist, this young lady in the line next to me says in perfect English, would you like some help? I'd lived in Hungary for six years at this point. This had never happened. It's not really part of the culture. And so I was smart enough to figure out this was a unique situation. I I took my medicine. I, I went home. And two weeks later, someone else in my family was sick. Same Tesco, same pharmacy, need some more decongestant. I didn't have to order it last time, so I'm still trying to figure out how to say this word. And I look to my right, same young lady in line. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, not the best missionary in the world, but even I could figure out, you know, maybe this is an opportunity. Like, like, think about it. I'm here to work with young people. She's a young person. I'm here to tell people about Jesus. There's a 99% chance she doesn't know Jesus. She speaks my language. That helps. She's friendly. Like, this is so clearly an opportunity. And then the other voice started in my head. Do you have the other voice? I started to think, what if she thinks I'm a stalker? (laughs) She thinks I'm creepy. What if it's not the same girl? Maybe, Maybe I'm just mistaken. I don't really have time for this today, and I didn't. Somebody's waiting for me, and they were. I have lots to do today, and I did. And the conversation's back and forth in my head as I'm working my way up the line. And I'm ashamed to say, I ordered my medicine, I turned that way, and I walked out of the store. And it haunts me. And it haunts me. Let me show you what I mean. Take, take a look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Here's how this starts. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Philip is up in Samaria. Revival has broken out. Entire communities are turning to Christ. Life is busy. We imagine he's from dawn till dusk preaching, baptizing, uh, discipling people. And in the midst of this, an angel of the Lord shows up to Philip and tells him to take a 50-mile walk to an abandoned road that goes to an abandoned city. No planes, trains, automobiles. He's going on foot. And what you may not know is there's two roads that go from Jerusalem to Gaza. There's the road that everyone takes, and there's the desert road. It's an abandoned road. And there's two cities of Gaza. There's the road that goes to the new city, and there's the desert road that goes to the abandoned city. So in the midst of the busyness of revival and ministry, the the angel of the Lord shows up and tells him to take a 50-mile walk to an abandoned road that goes to an abandoned city. And did you notice what's missing 
in the Lord's command? He doesn't tell them why. Isn't this just how God likes to lead? Genesis 12 to Abram, go to the land which I will show you when you get there. (laughs) No GPS coordinates, no eight and a half hours till arrival, no turn left in 200 feet. Go to the land which I will show you when you get there. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And so Philip goes. Verse 27, count the miracles with me. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Did you count the miracles? First, there's somebody on the road. This is an abandoned road to an abandoned city, and there's someone on the road, but it's not just anyone. It's an Ethiopian. Now, now you need to know, this isn't modern-day Ethiopia. This is modern-day northern Sudan, just south of Egypt. This was the ancient kingdom of Nubia, and Nubia was this vast empire that was so large and powerful, Rome didn't even try to conquer it. And this Ethiopian man has traveled from, and I quote, according to Roman Greco literature, the ends of the earth. Where were they supposed to go at the beginning of Acts? To the ends of the earth. And God has brought the ends of the earth to fill up. Now, this isn't just any Ethiopian He's a treasurer for this kingdom. He's a high official. This isn't some young man with a money belt around his waist. He's the treasurer for this kingdom. He's the treasurer for the Candace. Our translations say Candace, but this is actually an official title like Pharaoh or Caesar. She's the queen of the land and he controls her her treasure. This man of influence, this difference maker. And he's a eunuch. Five times in this passage, Luke makes sure we notice he's a eunuch. And this matters because he's somehow heard of the God of Israel. We don't know how. He's somehow heard of the temple in Jerusalem. We don't know how. And he's traveled 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles by carriage, by donkey, maybe by boat. 1,500 miles bumping through the desert. 1,500 miles to meet with the God of Israel at the temple in Jerusalem. And when he gets there, because he's a eunuch, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, he can't go inside. It probably took him months to get there. And he wants to meet with the God of Israel, and they won't let him in. Now he's traveling home, after this failed journey. And he's bumping along on an abandoned road to an abandoned city. And where is he reading? Isaiah. We're going to find out it's Isaiah 53. The most gospel-centered chapter in the whole Old Testament. Do you see what God has provided for Philip to walk into? It's just 
pre-made miracles waiting for Philip to walk in. But Philip doesn't know this yet. Let's pick our story back up. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. As if the situation wasn't awkward enough. Regular people walk. Rich people ride donkeys. Only the super rich ride in chariots. This is like, go join the presidential motorcade. This is like hitchhiking, but way weirder. Just go run next to the chariot. But Philip obeys, and here's what happens. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Philip is now in the chariot with this man that's an influential official in one of the most powerful kingdoms on earth at the time. Now the miracles continue. Verse 32. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And so then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. If you have time later, turn back to Isaiah 53. This is that famous passage where he he was crushed for our iniquities. The the wounds that brought us peace were upon him. This is the the great exchange that, that he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. And somehow this man from Ethiopia has managed to get his hands on a scroll from Isaiah in a time before the printing press. And somehow he's able to read it. And somehow he's right in the midst of Isaiah 53 when Philip runs up to that chariot. Miracle after miracle after miracle that God has provided for Philip just because he stepped through the door for what God had put in front of him. Well, it continues... Verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Remember, this is a desert place. But they come to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. The Holy Spirit airlifts Philip out of the situation. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Friends, can you imagine what Philip would have missed if he had stayed home that day? Can you imagine what he would have missed if he had stayed on this side of the door? The Lord had, had prepared these, these miracles, these good works for him to walk in. But it didn't make sense. He had every reason to say no, every reason to stay on this side of the opportunity that God had put in front of him. 
but because he stepped into it. He got to see all this riches that the Lord had prepared for him to walk into. I imagine him going back to his friends and saying, you're never going to believe the day that I just had. I wonder, I wonder how many pre-made miracles God has prepared for us that we miss because we stay on this side of the door. Because when we're in that line at the pharmacy, we turn that way instead of that way. <laughs> Let's be clear, not, not all the stories in the book of Acts turn out this way. James is killed. Peter's jailed. Paul is jailed, stoned, shipwrecked, chased out of town, and then killed. <laughs> this isn't some promise that, that the Lord's always going to lead us into what we would consider happiness and goodness. And, and this surely isn't some sort of, by faith, you create your own miracles sort of story. That's not it. No, this is, this is simply a living example of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You, you probably know the verse. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You probably remember the context. Remember, this is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. And then just to drive the point home, Paul goes, even your good works were created by God ahead of time. You don't even get credit for those. But then... Do you get the sense of anticipation that comes with this verse? Knowing that we wake up every morning and God has already prepared the good works that we get to walk in that day. And like a kid on Easter morning looking for those eggs you hid around your house, all you grandparents, we just got to go find them. We just got to go walk in those good works he's already prepared. We've just got to step through the door and see the divine appointments he's already put in front of us. Last weekend, I was at my uncle's 80th birthday party. My uncle doesn't hear quite as well as he used to. He's a little less steady on his feet than he once was. Energy levels have gone down as the age goes up. But do you know what he said to me as I left? He said, Rob, every morning I wake up and I pray for God opportunities. Don't you love that? Every morning I wake up and pray for God opportunities. And then he said, you wouldn't believe the stories I could tell you. I think this sense of anticipation really matters because in the book of Acts, we're partway through a story here. It's been nine years since Jesus stood before the disciples and went up into the clouds. It's been nine years since he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's been nine years since he gave them that mission, and they've gone nowhere. (laughs) And, And they've got good reasons. Most Jews were raised to believe that they shouldn't even have a meal with a Gentile, and it's it's hard to share the gospel when you won't go in someone else's house. 
There were language barriers. There were cultural barriers. But I think the biggest barrier was they were comfortable. The church in Jerusalem was lovely. We figure by this point it had grown to 20 or 30,000 people. They're in each other's homes. They're in the temple courts. They're enjoying fellowship. They're caring for the poor. The apostles are doing the preaching. They're sitting at the feet of the men who sat at the feet of Jesus. Why would they go anywhere? And then in the midst of this, persecution. And it's easy for us, with the benefit of hindsight, to look at this persecution and see God's hand in it, that he used this persecution to send the gospel to the nations, and we see it as a good thing, but they didn't experience it as a good thing. This is knocks on the door in the middle of the night. This is huddled in the corner waiting for footsteps. It says at the beginning of Acts chapter 8 that Paul, Saul, who becomes Paul, is going door to door and ripping people out of their houses, men and women, and throwing them in jail. This didn't feel good. (laughs) We're living in a time in history where our experience of Christianity is changing, isn't it? We, we don't quite get to call it persecution in the way that our brothers and sisters in Pakistan or China or places do. But we sure don't have the same seat at the table we once had. We sure don't have the same uh, love from society that might have once been there. It's getting harder and harder to be a Christian. But the question for the church, the question for the Christian, is always in the face of persecution, how will we respond? It's popular to say persecution always grows the church. Friends, I'm sorry to tell you that's not true. There are places all over the world where persecution has decimated the church. Persecution grows the church because when God chooses, but persecution grows the church when people respond. And, and in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 4, it says this, Now those who were scattered did what? They went about preaching the word. So my, my question for us this morning is, as the world changes and as our place in society changes and as the response to Christians changes, how are we going to respond? I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to just kind of get back on my heels, get quiet, get scared. I think other people, they kind of dig in their heels and they they cling to their rights and and it becomes about holding ground. I wonder if a better attitude would be one of anticipation. It's in the midst of persecution that Philip has this encounter with the eunuch. It's in the midst of persecution that the gospel goes out. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget that even though things start to look darker and darker and darker, God is still on his throne. His kingdom is still going forward. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And we can wake up every morning assured that he has good works prepared in advance for us to walk in. That he he has gone before us in the day and prepared our conversations with people. 
He's prepared that neighbor that needs our help. He's prepared that relationship that you need to reconcile. He's prepared that opportunity for you to be generous with your time or your treasure or your talent. He's prepared that coworker or classmate or friend who needs to hear the gospel. And he'll be faithful to come along through his spirit and nudge you and invite you to step through the door. The question for us is how will we respond? The story of the unit continues. If he had kept reading, he'd come to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. Let me read those to you. Here's what it says. Let not the foreigner, the one who's traveled 1,500 miles, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. No, no, no. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give it in my house. And within my walls, a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Amen? History tells us that in the fourth century, the whole kingdom of Nubia turned to Christ. Revival across the country. That region of the world stayed legally Christian until 1974. And it seems likely that God sent someone from the ends of the earth to meet Philip on an abandoned road, a man of influence to take the gospel back, and he planted seeds of the gospel that 300 years later sprouted into revival. It's often in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the darkest times of the church, that God is the most at work. It's often when things are the darkest that God does his most dramatic of miracles. He loves to reach in when it seems like everything's headed the wrong direction and say, just remember, I'm still on my throne. I'm still in charge. He's still doing that today. Uh, one of the members of our community in Oxford is a, is a man named Alberto who lives in Mexico. And, um, yeah, we can catch one more there, guys. Thanks. And uh, I was talking with Alberto a little while ago. Alberto is from Mexico. He and his wife planted a church in Guadalajara, Mexico, that grew to about 400 people in five years. And I said, Alberto, that's, that's amazing growth. Is, is this unique for like, are you, I'm, I'm kind of asking him, are you an amazing pastor? And, and, and he said, no, this is happening all over Mexico today. That, that just in mass, people are reading their Bibles. They're discovering good teaching on the internet and reading their Bibles. And they're turning away from their lost and dead religion to the God of the Bible. And across Mexico, it's like a modern day reformation. Praise God for this. So Alberto's now in Oxford doing a, a doctorate in New Testament with plans to go back to the Spanish-speaking world to continue to serve as a pastor, but also to train other pastors as all of these churches are popping up 
across the Spanish-speaking world. I, I think of my friend Philip, who's from Poland. And uh, Philip also is finishing a, a doctorate in New Testament at Oxford and part of our community at Newton House. And at the end of this calendar year, he'll, he'll return back to Poland and, and we're helping him figure out structures and strategies to be able to train the next generation of pastors and, and church planters in Poland. I think of what's going on in Nigeria, a group of senior scholars from Nigeria, this, this country of 213 million people have asked us to help them as they set up structures to train pastors and evangelists and church planters and Christian leaders in Lagos, Nigeria, which is a metro area of now 30 million people, the biggest city in Africa. This is like New York City size. And and they want help training that next generation for this country. We're in conversations with in Romania and, and in India. And, and the, these nationals from around the world are coming to us because Christianity is exploding in the global south. And they're asking, would you help us as we raise up and train this next generation of evangelists and pastors and church planters and Christian leaders? So we, we want to step through that door with them. <laughs> we want to discover the good works God's prepared in advance. We want to experience the miracles that God has already written that we just get to go find. How about you? How about you? We'd love to keep you updated on what God's doing. So on the table between the chairs out there, if you'd like to get our email updates, please do drop your name there and grab a prayer card. Six, eight times a year, we send updates on what God's doing around the world. Would love to, love to keep you updated on that. Here's the thought as we close. Our world's changing fast, isn't it? Uh, every time I come back to the States, I, I feel like a, a grandparent hasn't seen their grandkids in a while. You know, wow, you've changed. <laughs> it's changing so rapidly. And at times it's difficult. But the question is, how are we going to respond? Because God is still at work. His kingdom will go forward. Let us be people that respond with anticipation that he has good works prepared in advance for us to walk in. There's pre-made miracles just on the other side of that door if in faith we step through when he invites us to act. This is just the sort of situation that our good father likes to show himself in. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful this morning that you are a good father. I'm so thankful this morning that you are sovereign and on your throne. I'm so thankful that we can look back through all of church history and see how you've been faithful even when things have been so much harder than what we face right now. Oh God, we are so aware that we can't do anything in our own strength. We're so aware that we're so desperately in need of your spirit and of your presence. And that even the good works we do are things that you've prepared in advance. Lord, help us to be those who awake each day with anticipation for how you want to use us in the lives of our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates. 
Help us to be those who fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Help us to be those who don't get our eyes on the difficulties of this world, real as they are, but instead are those who are fixed on heaven. And would you help us then to join you in your mission? And we invite you, even today, even this afternoon, to place gospel opportunities in front of us. And we pray that by your spirit, you'd give us the courage to step through the door. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.